Arteta! What a Dan Kroenke discovered in his home in deep depression after dispiriting loss late last night. And his team also lost the Super Bowl. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, Stan, I don't even know if he would have been aware that the Rams didn't win the Super Bowl after trying to recover from what was a dispiriting loss at Manchester City. Uh, one can only surmise that he eventually uh, was apprised of what happened in Atlanta. Um, and it was almost as thrilling for him as what happened uh, in Manchester. So we're going to talk about all that. We're going to do it with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim, and welcome back. Hello, thank you. Yeah, good to have you back. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive, and I guess you're always here. So, you know, good to talk to you again. <laughs> he sounds so excited. Hello, I am. Hello. We're going to get in a big fight today, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I want to thank everybody for uh, getting involved and listening and all that. And if this is the last time you ever listen because of uh, the performance that I have incoming, then I apologize. But I do want to make this point. I think uh, Andrew on the Arsecast, Arsebug, the guy, that guy, made a really good point uh, today which is that, look, we're doing a podcast. So we're going to do a podcast about the Manchester City game. Now, you could argue, like, we just shouldn't even bother because it's not worth analyzing. But if you're going to do a podcast, then, like, you have to say honestly what you think went right. And unfortunately, in the majority, what went wrong. And that means the players, but also the manager. Now, I want to be clear about this, right? <laughs> I can say all the things I think Emery got wrong or did wrong or that are disappointing me about Emery and still not mean that I think Emery should be sacked. So I do have some critical thoughts about how he approached this game, about some of the things that are going on that he's doing. Um, but that's because I'm sitting in front of a microphone talking about this game. So like it's kind of what I'm supposed to do is give you my thoughts, and Clive and Tim will give theirs, and they may be very different. But I think that it is fair game on an, on an individual game-by-game -game basis to have criticisms of the manager that does not mean that somehow you are Emery out or Emery in. And I think Andrew made this point on the Arsecast, and it's well made, that you know because everything became arson out and arson in towards the end of his reign, we have forgotten that you can analyze and critique a manager without having any position on their uh, ability to stay in the position of manager of Arsenal. So with all that having been said by way of caveat, um, Emery out, the fucker. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding i'm kidding um so i thought there were some specific issues with this game now tim you know one of the things that i think happens with a game like this it, it reminds me a little bit of the opening game of the season where we we're like well let's write off these points and try not to make too much of it and i think there was a similar sense going into this game so you know i am i am sympathetic to the idea that look manchester city are far beyond where we are at the moment and so to some extent you write it off i think that has to be balanced against the fact that we are still a pretty powerful premier league club that should be able to compete at some level on the pitch with any other club. Um, and I, I thought that we had a few really key decisions wrong right from the start, and, th and that means the lineup. So I'm, I'm curious how you felt about what wound up being kind of a 4-4-2 with Awobi and, and uh, Kolasi Natch on the wings and then the two up front. Yeah, Emery always has like a bit of a surprise, doesn't he? Basically. I thought it was a back three when they, when they posted the lineup. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was going to be a back three as well. And actually, it took me a little while to work out. Because the thing is, Kolasinac being really high up the pitch doesn't necessarily mean he's not playing at fullback. Um, 
I, that's I, how I he plays like, fullback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember it like after seven or eight minutes when I hadn't quite tweaked what was going on. I kind of remarked to uh, one of the guys I go with. I was like, "Look, he's the furthest player forward again." And uh, until I kind of realised <laughs> that, oh no, that that is actually meant to happen. Um, and it and it does kind of say and and so. First off, I'm I'm actually all right with uh, the idea of Kalasnatch as a winger. Usually, um, whenever a fullback is good going forward, everyone says, "Oh, why don't we play him on the wing?" Uh, which fundamentally misunderstands why a fullback is usually very good at going forward, because usually it's about running into space and combining with the wide man. And as much as Kalasnatch does that, I think he's he's so powerful on the ball that he can beat a man as well. I think he can do that and get into the same positions. So um, I'm I'm actually all right with the thought of him as a winger. Um, I in certain games I prefer that idea to the thought of him as a left back in a back four. Um, you, you know, the majority of home games I'm kind of all right with him playing there because we need to be a bit adventurous. But you know, against if, if you told me it was a back four and Kalasnach was playing left back against Man City, I'd, I'd be concerned about that. So I understand why he did that. Um, Iwobi on the right, I think we've spoken about this a lot. I, d- I don't think Iwobi on the right has ever really worked. Um, but short of giving Denis Suarez a debut, um, I don't really see, once you commit to that kind of formation, I, this illustrates why we kind of needed, whether it's Denis Suarez personally but we need a player like that because with particularly without Mkhitaryan we're so 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 short of options and honestly I, I understand right that um the need for defenders but I'm staggered that people think we don't need a player like Denis Suarez like absolutely staggered um, I said this last frankly. week on the uh, Patreon podcast team so, yeah uh, it's it's I, I'm just like doesn't make either of you right by the way <laughs> I've just been like you don't think we need wide players well I like, think we need wide players I, I think the debate yeah, was more yeah. whether Dennis Suarez yeah, is a yeah, wide yeah. player I mean I, I would make the argument he could have used Aaron Ramsey on the right and Iwobi on the left and not used uh, Kolasinac as a winger and, and I push back slightly Tim on the idea of Kola being a decent winger because so I can understand if you had a Bakare Sanya at the club and you played him like on the right wing in a game like this, and you said, he's so defensively strong that I'm willing to give up what he gives us going forward to be a little more defensively strong. I don't think any of us would argue that Kolasinac is particularly defensively strong. And while he's no. decent running into space and has created a lot of chances from overlaps, first of all, you don't get a lot of overlaps if you don't have sustained possession in the final third. But the other no. thing that really is problematic about Kola, and we saw it in this game, he is a terrible passer of the ball. He is awful in possession, and I think he completed about 56% of his passes in this game. I think total he completed 10 passes. You know, so Ganduzi and Torreira had some decent possession, and they passed at a decent clip, you know, 40, 50 passes at 90% roughly, but Kolasinac just is not competent on the ball in possession, and given that we weren't going to be parked in the final third playing overlaps, I would have rather Emery just leaned into more natural positions. It will be on that wide flank where he's Really good in the middle third, I think. Ramsey on the right flank. Yeah, sorry. Will be on the left flank. Ramsey on the right flank. And and just have guys that are going to comfortably pass at 80% and, and are a little bit stronger on the ball in more natural positions. I thought using Kolasinac there was too clever by half, and it didn't work for me. I, I, I totally take the point on the possession. He is generally, genuinely dreadful at that, and a lot of that is because he's so one-footed um and he will he will panic himself and he will tie himself in knots trying to use his left foot 
um, which which is just yeah a, a big bugbear of mine. We did have some chances to break where he got the ball in the yeah. middle third, and that's the worst case scenario for him. Is you where, how do you get around City's press? You play it out wide. You need that wide person to be a good distributor from the middle third to play it into the on running Lacazette and Aubameyang, and that is not his game at all. See, I, I, I see that slightly differently um, in terms of, and don't get me wrong, it didn't work out like this, mm-hmm. but I understood it from the start because he's got power that a lot of our players don't have. Like, what did he want on the flanks? He wanted Iwobi and he wanted Kolasinac. What does that tell you? He he was looking for that burst um, in the final third. And Iwobi's not particularly powerful, but he carries the ball at a fair clip. He's not a sprinter, but he carries the ball quickly and with a fair amount of urgency. And Kolasinac has just got that physicality. And that, that's why I'm okay with... I think he's a wing-back, but that's why I'm okay with him on the wing because I think he can get past players. And I think what Emery was looking at was we're not going to have that much possession of the ball. And frankly, what is really the point in trying to kind of maintain possession and play, you know, play with our food a bit in the final third against City? We're not going to get the chance to do that. Um, They'll probably press us out of it. And actually, we're probably better off with guys who can break. And that, I think, was the thinking that Kolasinac um, can give you that that little bit of power uh, going into the final third to make the most of transitions. Obviously, it didn't work out like that. And yes, your your points on his technical uh, shortfall is is very well made. But I, I think that was the thinking behind it. And I don't think Ramsey quite gives you that. Ramsey would give you the ball retention, um, I think, because he protects the ball very well. But I think Emery was thinking, well, you know what? We're going to have to score goals <laughs> to win this game. And therefore, we need, players who are going to progress us up the pitch so that's what i think he was thinking and i think the thinking there was was fairly sound albeit to be quite honest i um i i I didn't think anything we were going to do would work and i think the conversation about this game and about arsenal in general is not so much you know i i kind of agree with the write it off thing i was this game went exactly as i i expected i got the score right and everything everyone around me was like yeah two nil four two three one regulation defeat the the conversation is more why do we feel like that why do we feel so so sure that we will lose these games easily whereas chelsea even at this moment in time chelsea go there next week i bet you i bet well I wouldn't be too surprised if Chelsea managed to get a result or were far more competitive than we are. Well, I think they'll get slaughtered. But I take your point, which is that there is a good question as to why Arsenal should be in a position where going to places like City and Liverpool and and all the other big six away fixtures should just be an automatic write-it-off loss, which it has been for years. And we're seeing that that goes beyond Arsene Wenger, which was the presumed problem for a long time. I want to stay... And there's a... Sorry, I just no, I just no, wanted please. to sum that that thought up with one sentence. There's a difference between not being favourites and being absolutely certain of defeat. Yes, I agree with that. And being e- easily beaten in the second half like we were, and we'll come to the second half later. But Clive, I, I don't want to meander into the where we are as a club sort of existential talk just yet. So if we could, I want to stay on one other thing about the setup. You can certainly talk about Kolasinac and Iwobi. I'd also like to talk about the decision to start with two up front. Because I, I think he got that wrong too. Don't get me wrong, I think the best part of our play this season has been Lacazette and Aubameyang, and I can understand why you want to keep them together. This game, I thought it was a real miss. I think he had the opportunity to drop one of them. I don't care which. City suppressed chances tremendously well. We're not going to have sustained final third pressure. 
if you're going to win it or get anything, it's probably with the odd goal like we got with the equalizer early, early in the game. Um, I think you need the extra possession and the extra control. And, and he could have had an extra midfielder in there if he'd gone with more of like a 4-5-1, a 4-4-1-1. I mean, do you, do you have any problems with his decision to go to up front? I don't think, I don't think it was a critical part of the game. Um, I think when you walk into these games, just think what he's trying to, what is he trying to achieve? All right, so I hadn't seen this formation before. I hadn't seen it with the balance of players, you know, that he used. And the key thing for me was um, the fullback protectors, the doorman, right? The doorman was Kalashnik and Iwobi. And they were up against De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva on one side. And, um, the other Silva, sorry, and David Silva and Sterling on the other side, right? So he knew that City wanted to go inside the gap between fullbacks and centre halves, like they do all the time, and score five side goals. So his reaction to that was I want two strong defenders in wide areas in front of two strong fullbacks. <laughs> I say that strong with inverted comments for <laughs> Arsenal fullbacks, right? And and that was that was basically it. They they funny enough they don't overload in the centre. So our two of our best players for me was Torreira and Granduzzi, right? And why was that? Because they want they did well in their battles because it was one on one. The real issue was out wide, and the real failing was out wide. And then when you see failure of something working, you then question the system and the tactics. Tactically, I fully understand what he was trying to do. Did it work? No. Then you ask yourself, why? Why didn't it work? It didn't work because of the quality of player. The players that we have in those situations are not rounded enough, not strong enough, not tackled here well enough, not shoot enough, don't watch their shoulders, don't understand how to track runners, can't retain possession when under pressure in the first two minutes of the game. They make basic mistakes like get their head down, don't get their head up, like we spoke about many, many times, and completely blow the game plan in the first two minutes. You have to, so it's all about your perception. Is it quality or is it system? And for me, it's obvious there's a quality gap, which goes to half answer Tim's point. Is why were we so sure this is going to end up in a defeat? Because basically the quality of player we have is not quite up to the mark. We can squeeze something out of this group occasionally. And some of that is, is um, some of that's physical, whether we've got a physical level. And some of that is whether we're at home. Because when we're at home for, for big moments, we tend to stand up. And and that's just where we are. The last two years, we have not sustained performance three times a week consistently. I can't tell you the last time Arsenal won three times a week. I just can't even remember, right? And definitely not two big games. So then he goes on to the connection up top. Well, he could have put Ramsey in there and did the runabout every bit in the middle of the pitch and tried to connect us to the centre forward. I saw Lacazette doing lots of tracking, lots of challenging, lots of pressing, doing the role that Ramsey did. I didn't see two strikers in a flat line. I saw two strikers sharing the job of coming deep. That's fair. Yep. And, and then you ask yourself, why don't we have two strikers on the pitch? Because they're our best two players and they're our best chances of scoring. So if they're our best chances of scoring, why wouldn't you pick them? Right? So, so... If you're telling me that the role that Lacazette played, Ramsey could do it better, well, I, I, I debate. I absolutely debate. I think the four down the middle were our best players, maybe along with Koscielny, right? So um, for this day, on a day when we were doomed to defeat, there is a bigger question, and Tim's actually hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of this is happening around tactics versus 
strategy versus what we're thinking our identity is and it's a it's a byproduct of ourselves as individual fans having our own identities and trying to impart that on the manager rather than trying to understand what he's trying to achieve and how he's trying to achieve it and that's why you get the fraction that's why you get the lack of understanding that's why you get if you if i don't know what i'm seeing i don't like it and i want changes of key people and that's what we're seeing over the that's weekend a fair point. And, and i find it incredibly frustrating that what we should be doing is try to understand what he's doing you don't have to agree but understand it try to understand it before you spout off rubbish that we've been seeing i, I know everyone can, I, I don't I want you to expect- know something i don't need any invitation or understanding to spout off rubbish let's just be clear about that i'm ready to fire that from the moment i wake up to the moment i go to sleep and, and what i say is i say it's very carefully you can't i have no desire for everyone to think like you do, Elliot, or like I do, or like Tim does, because it would be a very boring world if you all thought the same. There will be no debate, no conjecture, no nothing. But I think there needs to be a level of understanding about where we are, and I don't want to go into that bit because mm-hmm. that's the bit we Yeah, want that's to the hold. existential bit. <laughs> and look, I, I want to be clear about something, right? It's why I said what I said at the beginning of the podcast. You can have questions about the choices he made in this game. That's the job of analyzing And some of that is post hoc, right? Where you've seen the game so you can see what didn't work. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of that's very emotional. And that's allowed, by the way. Sure. There's nothing wrong with watching a game and then saying, here are the things that didn't work. Now, it's a little wrong if you say, here are the things that didn't work and I knew it wouldn't all along. I mean, then you're wise after the fact, which is my best kind of wise, I would say. Um, I want to get to some praise. I think there there is specific praise that we're going to come to because I think – there is praise for Emery and a player. I'm going to just tease that for a moment, but before we do, let's get back to criticism so I feel safe <laughs> safe in my home. Tim, um, you know, to, to Clive's point, is it system or is it quality? I would argue that Emery's system maybe isn't getting the most out of us going forward, and that system more qual- than quality. But I will certainly agree with Clive that it is quality over system defensively, that there comes a point where you can't defend with these players. And... Mm. Licksteiner, certainly not up to it. Now, I will say this. Talk about being wise after the fact. People are hammering the Licksteiner acquisition. I think Bellerin played more than 50 games last season. Licksteiner was meant to be a cheap, experienced Europa League and Carling Cup rotation for Bellerin. He was not meant to be our starting right back. I have some sympathy with that. Mustafi is just, I mean, you know where I stand on the guy. We don't need to ramble on about it but he he should have had a penalty and, and potentially a red card do they even do that anymore is it just the yellow now more of the story is i mean t- terrible defensively there awobi sticks us in the shit with with the giveaway early that leads to the first goal i you know and again i'm not trying to kill awobi but i certainly think when players make errors like that that mm. is not on a manager so do you have some sympathy for Emery, for the fact that those individual errors and the lack of quality in our defensive third are making it very, very difficult. Because once you concede a goal in a football match, you totally stand everything on its head. Your tactics, your approach, what yeah. you need to do. And, and it, you know, they, they say in boxing, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Every manager yeah. has a plan until they concede the first goal. And when yeah, you yeah. have individual errors like that, your plan goes out the window. So is, is that really where talent more than system is causing the problem? I I think so. Yeah, yeah. All, 
albeit certainly if you're a team that plays if you're a team in the top six and therefore you have to be um to to borrow a term emery used last summer a protagonist it, it's fine for like um teams in mid table or lower to put out pretty much any four defenders and then just stick like six teammates around them all the time and then yeah you can defend well but it's different at a top six club when you're the impetus on you to attack and rightly so because you have that quality of player you get to set the the tone and the rhythm for the game so for a top six defense um with depending on how you play yeah I, I think it is a quality issue unless you go totally you know jose Mourinho and his pomp and don't get me wrong he had very good defenders but again he kind of built a wall of muscle around them which made their job a little bit easier and you know we spoke about this after the chelsea game with arsenal you know um we 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 kind of protected our defence much better, but we were able to because we scored the first goal. So um, we kind of had a bit more control over the space, whereas we, you know, we, we don't. And you're right, the the first goal pretty much always changes these games. And so the United game, for example, I thought we were fine at 0-0 at home to United. I thought we were absolutely fine. I thought, you know, they 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 had carried some threat on the break but i thought we were controlling it but once you go one nil down against a team that wants to counter attack like that's it really um and you know it's the same for us against chelsea at nil nil we weren't on top but we score first and there you go um spurs, spurs game at home too so, mm-hmm. yeah 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 so a, a lot of these games are decided that way yeah yes i, I do think it's a quality thing i I'll be honest, I still probably expected a little, like a little improvement, not a huge improvement. And I think I've been fairly consistent on the idea that I don't, uh, you know, Arsenal's defence is ageing. Um, you know, we're we're regularly, you know, Lichstein, look at the defence we put out. Like Lichstein is 35, Monreal's what, 32, Koscielny's 33, and Mustafi. Like that's, you know... That, that's a defence that's going to change very soon by hook or by crook. So I think I would be more inclined to judge us defensively next season, mm. um, depending on what, ha- on what happens this summer. And I think Arsenal are going to have to raise some funds this summer. And I don't know how much we'll get for him, but um, selling Mustafi just seems like a fairly obvious way of, of generating some funds. I mean, he's, what, 26 um, you know, and I, I'm sure a club of our level won't take him, but I'm, I'm sure he's not completely unsellable. Um, but it's kind of symptomatic of the the fact that Emery just doesn't quite have the players he wants. Um, Rob Holding looked good in the Arsenal defence, albeit I think it's being played up. A, a, his performances are being a bit more played up since he got injured because this kind of correlation causation thing between our holding got injured and it all went to shit. He was doing fine. Um, you know, he wasn't absolutely outstanding. It's just, he had, I think the physicality and the profile to play in an Emery defense. And that's all it was. It was, it's not because he's the next Maldini. It's just, he kind of fits. And, uh, Emery, I think demands a lot physically from his players and he hasn't, he's not really got, that many of that type of player in his defense at his disposal you know except for Bellerin and Bellerin's like the only other one who's who's really covered himself in any sort of glory this season um and you know we can see it going forward as well I I think the thing is what 
what we're learning about Emery, in my opinion, is that he prefers generalists over specialists. Mm. So he prefers players with a wide range of skills that they're quite good at, which is why he's going to play like Denis Suarez over Mesut Ozil. Ozil has a particular skill that is absolutely top class in terms of his final ball, but he's not interested. He doesn't want him. You know, Ramsey has a particular skill in breaking forward from the midfield and finding space in the box. He, he doesn't really want him, but what he wants is Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, Genduzi, Suarez, these kind of generalists and I think he probably wants some of those in defense as well and he hasn't really got them Um, he hasn't got the athletic profile that said I do think the fact that we're chopping and changing every single week does mean that it's it's difficult um, for that defense and probably that team to really connect the dots then again a big caveat you have to give Emery is that is the injury situation. It's constantly disruptive and it's been disruptive at really bad times as well. You know, you look after we beat Bournemouth in late November and you looked at it and you thought, yeah, okay, something's coming together here. And then we go to Old Trafford a week later and we lose holding. And then, you know, we play Chelsea and you think, okay, something's beginning to happen here with this defence. And then bang, we immediately lose Bellerin. It's at our highest points, we've lost important cogs from the defence. So I think he he definitely um, deserves is the right words, but I think he has those caveats. Yeah, and and especially, look, I mean, there are some managers for whom swapping in and out fullbacks wouldn't matter very much. I think with Emery, you can certainly say Mm. that that is a particularly significant area, and the the distance, the cavernous distance between Bellerin and Licksteiner, it's, you know, it's not a decent right back for an okay right back. It's a phenomenal right back with real flair at both ends for a player who's totally washed up. And, I, you know, uh, Clive and I did a Patreon podcast about Dennis Suarez's arrival, summing up the transfer window generally, and then a big section on tactics, and it's it's really excellent, and Clive was good too. Um, <laughs> uh, but, no, you know, one of the things we talked about is that, you know, Emery wants Swiss Army Knife players because he wants to yeah. be able to change up his approach from game to game, and so he needs players that are flexible in that way. I I do want to come on to... Some praise, though. And here's what I think is interesting about this game. I thought the second half was a shambles. We, we can come on to that. I thought after we equalized, which was totally against the run of play, we, we were a mess after we conceded for a while, but we equalized. The period from after we equalized until right around when we let them have the second was a very competent performance with periods where we were on top and they were on top, but it felt like a much more even contest between two relatively even teams. Relatively. Um, and that period was encouraging. And, you know, I thought after we conceded the second, right at the end of the first half, terrible timing, we came out at halftime and just didn't look like we felt we could get a result. Um, but I think one of the reasons we looked so good is because of the way Torreira and Ganduzi played, and Ganduzi in particular. Clive, it is really becoming clear to me that the storyline of this season is those two in particular developing, and Ganduzi specifically turning into a potential superstar. At 19, he was our best player. Uh, He was as good as anyone on the pitch, I felt. Defensively, he still has work to do, of course, like anybody at Arsenal. Um, But some of his, the the range of passing, the versatility of his passing, his eye, his confidence, the, the way he rides challenges. Now, sometimes I think he relies on the referee to bail him out a little too much, but he rides challenges. God, if he doesn't get kicked to shit every game because of his willingness to just hold the ball in close situations. He's very press-resistant in that way, and I I just think it's phenomenal. And I think if Emery deserves praise for anything, it may be 
sticking with Ganduzi because here's a manager who came into a big club and you think he's going to want to prove himself right away and you know really achieve something so that he can establish himself at Arsenal. But he had the courage to start with Ganduzi right from the start of the season, to stick with him all season long when people were sort of starting to tilt their head and say, should this guy be playing? And you could say, well, that's to the detriment of the team. But I think our future is in large part dependent on developing a talent like Ganduzi into a superstar. And that seems to be happening before our eyes, and it wouldn't have been if Emery took the easy way out and just played older players with more experience. So, I mean, how impressed were you with Ganduzi and just in general Emery's vision to kind of stick with him all season long and let him go on this trajectory? Yeah, well, you left me a lot left there to answer, to be fair. Yeah, All but, right, well, then we'll move on. So, if you listen back to the, the remember we did Inner Spotlight and Gwen Doozy? I think start we need another season, one, yeah. Yeah, and we, and no, if you played that now, you'd think we were geniuses because we went, we went big on him. Really big, and I started to think, okay, when we had a bit of a dip and when he was getting run off his shoulder, I started to think, oh dear, maybe we've gone too big on him. But the reason why we did, well, the reason why I did, in particular, was you just got to remember the context by which he is playing. Well, he's 19 years of age. He has come from another league, settling in, and he has walked into our dressing room and he has taken over. It's quite as simple as that. And in no time at all, he will be our best player. And that's that's it, right? We have a budding superstar in our hands, and it's it's difficult for people to absorb that. But that's it. That's if you, what he's doing at nineteen is Cesc like. I, I right? and, that um, is exactly what I was thinking. He he is the best young player at the club since Cesc Fabregas. I haven't seen a teenager yeah. with his personality and skill at that age in the, in that position since Cesc. Yeah, and what's different is the is the lens by which these players develop, because even as recently as when Cesc was 18 and basically 1920 running the team with Thierry Henry and playing in a Champions League final. I can't remember the age. He might have been 17, Tim, or 18 at Champions League final. I can't quite remember. But um, And when he was doing that, there was not the absolute lens of what he couldn't do as there, as there is today. And if you just project forward to what this guy's doing in a team without a Thierry Henry, without a Robin Van Persie, without that player that Arsenal have always had at that period, we always had, even when we weren't doing so well, the player of the year or somebody who was very close in the top three. We haven't got that at the moment. We haven't got those sort of players. And this kid has come in and is running the show. And he doesn't get it right every week. But... What you know, I've looked at the phases of what Emery's trying to do, and I've said before that I think this season is about discovery. He's got to discover his players, and once he works out who is one of his own, he invests in them. He invests in them by overplaying them or by resting them and preparing them. This season is about discovery and financial restructure and changing the contract base at our club and making sure that we can rebuild mm-hmm. next year with the funds that are available. And so we there have been times when we've all felt it. Maybe he should have rested him for that game. How come he's always playing? And then when you see that performance, you say, that's why the manager's investing in him. He has gone up against Kevin De Bruyne and has not looked shabby at all. Right? There is nowhere else for him to go in this league. If you can do that, it's only Paul Pogba's next. And after you've done that, you've, you've done it, mate. You're there. You're running the show. You're the best midfielder in the country. And that's where he'll be in a year's time. I guarantee it. He is a very special player based on his what he's providing right now, his personality. He has got that superstar quality that we are lacking in many of our other players at the moment. And um, hopefully, touch wood, touch wood, you know, nothing happens to him 
injury wise. Well, that it worries me because he he does get kicked, and the, you know you're a good player when other really good players are so frustrated by your your strength and possession or your your ability to step past them that good players on good teams are just having to kick at you, and that's happening yeah. to him every week. Um, and it's worrying. I think you know we we recited this on a previous pod. I can't remember which one because they all blend together to me into this sort of uh, morass of audio about Arsenal, but um. That he is, I think, third most fouled player, and the two ahead of him have played like 500 more minutes than him. So it's it's a worry. I mean, Tim, before we take a break, I I want to mm. make sure you get a chance to step in here, and I want to phrase our chance to praise Ganduzi here in a negative uh, way so that it, <laughs> it stays you know firmly on brand for me. I loved watching Torreira and Ganduzi in this game, and I loved mm. Ganduzi having the responsibility he was given in that role, and I loved the way he responded to it. There is no denying Granite Shaka's importance to the way we progress the ball. The statistics scream that. And yet, I, I love this pairing. And I think this pairing mm. has fewer of the weaknesses than you get with Granite Shaka. Now, I'd love to see a midfield trio of the three of them. And some people mm. say that's too defensive. And maybe it is. I guess my question to you is, with Ganduzi looking like he's on a tremendous upward trajectory like this, how do you feel about this pairing staying as our central midfield pairing going forward and, and you know, potentially meaning Shaka spends a little more time on the bench. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, actually, that we haven't heard... I, maybe I missed it. I, I haven't heard why Shaka wasn't playing. I assume an injury, but um, nobody's asked, nobody's really asking that question. That tells you a lot about how well those two performed. And the, mm-hmm. the big positive takeaway from this game is if you're looking at you know who we're searching for what is Emery trying to do like where are we going what are we doing well probably the two most obvious players who are part of you know Arsenal 2.0 for the next four or five years again Doozy and Torreira and they were our best players uh, they were the players that uh, played with the most personality and I, I, I think Clive makes a good point that they were in one-on-one situations whereas City do all their overloading out wide but you know that's that's De Bruyne, Fernandinho um, they've both gone up against and and you know they they've both come out really really well and 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 everyone that I can see seems to think that like it seems unanimous I, I saw a tweet from James Olley on Genduzi. In the first half, he completed all 22 of his passes and won, and recovered the ball more times than any other Arsenal player. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about generalists here. What, like, what more do you want from from a central midfielder? And um, I, I know, Elliot, you've you've said a few times, you know, you quite like the idea of him a bit further forward because of his his passing. Um, and and I. I understand that like his passing in the final third is really good. Like he's really good at finding those angles to the fullbacks. I think he's got a wonderful eye for that type of pass. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily play him in a number 10 per se, but that kind of coming from number eight is, is really, really, is really interesting. As to the question about Xhaka, what I've really noticed um, in this game, but certainly before this game as well, it's not Xhaka that receives from Leno anymore. It's Genduzi. He's the one who takes the ball on the edge of the 18-yard area. And uh, a lot of that is, A, because he's technically incredibly clean. He very rarely gives the ball away. And B, you know, we one of the big things that's always discussed about Genduzi is his character. And, uh, you know, he's he's always got his chest puffed out and, you know, looks very much like he belongs, which is 
an incredible asset for a 19 year old but he's just got that personality to take the ball um you know on the edge of his own area he doesn't you know he doesn't care if someone's like up his backside um i happen to like his kind of drawing fouls and thing and things like that he's got a little bit of snide about him which is which is missing in almost every other player in this squad mm-hmm. um albeit Torreira did it a couple of times as well during the game although Torreira was genuinely fouled a couple of times and the, the referee i don't want to say didn't spot it um but he didn't seem to think they were fouls um but when Lacazette did the same challenges, he thought those were fouls, which confused yeah. me. But anyway, um, <laughs> but but the, 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 the rare I, criticism of the referee from Tim. But, you, well, you heard it here this first. is this is going to lead this is going to lead into a point here where City don't get punished for that type of thing because they do it all the time. They do it's it more than natu- any other team. There's stats about that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and Spurs as well, and Eric Dyer. They do it all the time, and the more you do it, the more it becomes business as usual, and the less you get punished for it. And Torreira and Gendouzi, at the minute, they're feeling the heat from that because it's Arsenal, and referees, I think, subconsciously, just don't believe that, you know, don't have that kind of image of Arsenal. But I think the more you add that little bit of edge to your game, the more you get away with. And those two players, I think, eventually if they stay as the cornerstones of this team and some other players, um, you know, kind of start to get managed out, then, then we can go a long way to changing our image. And that also plays into the point, you know, we were talking about earlier in terms of why do we always think we, why are we always certain that we're going to lose these games and not compete? Well, Torreira and Gendouzi are the ones who competed. And if we had like, six or seven other players like that, not necessarily in terms of quality, because I think we have got players of that quality, but of that personality in the team. If we had, you know, a a few more players like that, and I'm not just talking about players who run around or kick people or get, or draw fouls or whatever. I just mean that, that, that it's, it's an intangible, that kind of competitive edge. If we had a few more of those, we'd go to city and we wouldn't be favorites or anything, but we'd think, yeah, we can compete today. Just like, you know, like I said about Chelsea, watch that game, Chelsea City. I bet you whether they win or not or whether they get a result, I bet you Chelsea are more competitive. And I think it's because they've got a little bit more of that. Yeah, in their DNA, in their DNA. And we don't have that. But, you know, players like uh, Genduzzi and Torreira, hopefully are our future, have got a little bit more of that and, and that I think is the big positive to take from this game. Sure, and I mean the, the one problem you have when two of your best, brightest, hardest working, most impressive young players are central midfielders and potentially deep central midfielders is they really can't win you a game. You know what I mean? I mean you could say, well Conte won you know, one games for France and Chelsea. I, I get it, but you still have to score goals to win a game and so, you know, Chelsea do have Eden Hazard. You know what I mean? And he can pick the ball up and beat two men and curl one into the, you know, into the postage stamp and win a game that way. And, you know, I think watching City, the crazy thing is, sure, there were times we were pulled out of position defensively because Arsenal, but there were also positions when we were in situations where we were in position defensively and someone like Sterling just beat two men off the dribble and totally pulled us out of position. Now, some of that is just bad defending, but I still maintain that it would be lovely to have a player who can do that and that... You know, we, we really don't. You know, Wobi can do a little of it, but he's better at it, weirdly, in the midfield third than he is, you know, in the middle third than he is in the final third in the box. So, I don't know. We'll have to see. I want to take a break. 
I want to come back and talk about the second half and where we go from here. So um, it is really important now that we are, you know, into the month of February that we, uh, you know, we really get down to the, the important business of sorting out your Valentine's Day. Uh, and that is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about some sexy underwear, lingerie, ladies' intimates, and then we will uh, come back and talk about something a lot less sexy, the second half against city. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed, the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better, because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. Look, Valentine's Day is around the corner. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating Valentine's Day with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful, high-end, luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. Now that you have um, beautiful things for you or your partner to wear, or both of you to wear, certainly no judgments here. Uh, I want to talk about the second half of the City game. I don't want to talk about I feel compelled to because, uh, well, we're doing a podcast about the City game. So, uh, Clive, the second half did not go great. Obviously, going down uh, 2-1 just before the half, bad timing for that to happen. But the way we came out in the second half was, I, I think, not not ideal. And, you know, Pep made some tweaks, and then, you know, we didn't have a shot on target, period. Um, you know, which makes it very hard to come back and win a game. But I just felt in the second half that they were kind of playing with their food a little bit and that we never really imposed ourselves or, or looked like we were going to get back into it. Anything specifically you, you noticed or thought changed? I mean, there was a lot of hard running and a lot of work that we had to do in the first half just trying to keep them out and chasing the ball and not having possession, which is what we're not used to. Do you think it's as simple as we, we just tired and kind of gave up the ghost or is there something else that you saw? I think we physically dropped. You look at the game in four quarters. We we had the second quarter, and I think we were unlucky to concede in that period. And when you're looking for hope tactically, in that second quarter when we were doing really well, we all sat up, didn't we? We all thought, oh, "This is looking quite good." How we we we, we got them a little bit shaky, right? And then um, then we concede that goal, which seemed almost out of the blue, and um, and they rock into half time feeling confident. And we lose confidence. And it comes back to, to me, you know, like what Tim was saying, and I agree with 100%, is having the personality players that understand the requirements of playing for Arsenal Football Club. Right? And we need more of those players that walk into these places and, and believe they can win. And we haven't got enough of those. Right? And so... And some of the ones we used to have, we hate them today <laughs> and, um, because they left us for whatever reason. But man, they had a strut. They didn't play well every week, but they had a strut. If they, if they were getting beat at these places, they, they would win the fight in the tunnel. Right? So, and we haven't, got, we haven't got that anymore. We've got a nice bunch of footballers that look after themselves, look after their contracts, look after their families. Right? So we haven't got, we haven't got enough. 
So you're, you're saying we I, need we need someone like Theo Walcott back in the team. Yeah, well, I've just seen uh, <laughs> I've just seen a, a, a spread on Theo Walcott. Fair enough, it was coming out on Talksport, basically saying that that they're they're not sure if he's even still a footballer. He's dropped that far off off the cliff, and you know people thought he'd retired. And that was a player that we gave ten years to to Arsenal and paid him many many millions. And um, and I'll gave him a toaster. To the, don't forget. I'll come back to that later. I've got a big thread coming on tomorrow about that. So watch out for that one, right? Um, the only person traveling. allowed to plug their future writing is Tim. So please stay in your yeah, lane. Yeah, I've got one coming, right? <laughs> watch out. One of my th- train threads. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know me, Elliot. I, I Type-wise, player type-wise, we, we haven't got it, mate. We haven't got it. We haven't got the physicality in our team to sustain the level of performance that we require to perform in this system, which is basically a lot of it is off the ball. We haven't got the monsters that Spurs have got. The hard-running centre midfielders are plenty that can be rotated that Liverpool have got. And we haven't got the sprinters and the wide-wingers that City have got. Right, So we have a lot of one-pace ageing players that can sustain it for a certain period of time. Too many 60-minute players, and that's why we can't win these games away because we can't sustain the level of performance. We can do it at home in comfortable environments, particularly when we score early and dictate the story of the game. Away from home, we haven't quite got that confidence and personality to deliver that. And we've had three years watching this, so we all know 21 games, is it now? We haven't won away from home? 21 games. We've, We've drawn seven... I think lost fifteen of that twenty-one. Yeah, and so I'd prefer, I'd prefer to do better than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty better. So, what do we see tactically? I tell you what, we saw we saw players looking after their legs, looking after their bodies because they couldn't quite sustain any longer. They couldn't quite stay the runners. They certainly did not have the power and the step to do the work defensively and then step out with control, accuracy, technical security to travel up the pitch in a unit. What happens when you're under stress? You stay where you are. You stay deep. You try to protect your goal. And it, I, I'm close to saying there was, there was at 3-1, there was a professional handshake to say, maybe this does both of us. Okay. We don't want to kill them too much. And maybe you just sit where you are for now. And we, I'm, it was almost close to that. I'm not saying it was because there's a lot. Of, that never happens in the Premiership. It happens in Italy a lot, but not here. But I'm telling you, it was, I take it, they took it. Shake hands, get on the bus. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was... It was dispiriting, but you know, unfortunately, there <laughs> there was a second half that had to be played. And and Tim, I'm sort of curious what your thoughts were on the decision to bring Dennis Suarez on in the position where he did. Because, look, I, I think you just have to throw that performance away and say, I'm not even going to read mm-hmm. into it with respect to what we're getting from Dennis Suarez. And maybe Emery had sort of the same idea, which is, look, it's going to go poorly for him, but I need to try to get a match fit. So let him run around against, yeah. you know, arguably the best or certainly the second best team in the country for you, was it a crucial mistake putting a player in an impossible situation or potentially a savvy way to just get some minutes in his legs? Uh, I think the latter. I think we can kind of overthink um, substitutions sometimes, um, particularly when the game states like that. Yeah. To, be, to be honest, I don't think there was any deep philosophical reason behind it. You can ask why Suarez was put on and not Ozil, for example. I think the answer's fairly straightforward there because Emery doesn't see Ozil as part of his plans as much as he sees Suarez and it was just uh, give him some minutes in his legs Um, you know Iwobi's cooked I need to bring someone on who can do roughly this a a similar thing I don't want to bring like a 
a number 10 on in Ozil because that completely changes our formation and what we're trying to do. So it was uh, pretty much a like-for-like like swap, wasn't it? I, d- I don't think it goes any deeper than that. And yeah, I, I think giving him a couple of minutes and look, he, he had a, a fairly horrible couple of minutes, but I'd much rather him um, pass the ball into touch and miss some runs, uh, shall we say, a couple of times in this scenario than I would um, at, at Huddersfield on Saturday. Um, so, you know, maybe it had some value there, but it, it probably didn't, to be honest. But I, I don't think there's much to be to be said about that or to be gleaned from it. Well, then let me stay with you just for one second. I, I never get sick of complaining about the same thing. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. But even I am getting sick of discussing, worrying about, debating about, analyzing the Mesut Ozil situation. Is there mm. anything left to be said other than, for whatever the reason, which we will never know completely, Mesut Ozil is not going to play for Unai Emery and that we will see him mm. occasionally this season because we almost have to. You can't just freeze him out totally. But that we just have to accept that Mesut Ozil's time as an important player at Arsenal is over and as soon as we yeah. can shift him, we will. And is that really the end of the inquiry there? Is that all there is left to be said? I think so, yeah. I mean, look look at the game he started him home to Cardiff. I mean, that's... I think that's a, a pretty clear, you know, that's the type of game you're going to start from now on. To be fair, I thought um, he did well, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, th- I thought he was I thought he was quite 7 out of 10. Um, yeah. It was fine. Um, but ultimately, he he doesn't want a player like that in his system. Like I said, he, he seems to prefer these generalists. He, he really liked Welbeck. He really seems to like Mkhitaryan. He really seems to like Iwobi. Likes Ozil and Ramsey a, a little less. Um, so that that's the type of player he wants and that's the vision he's got for the team. I, I think perhaps the, the debate around Ozil is dying down because there is very little to say about it and I think everyone knows where they stand um, at this point. So I think the debate is dying. Um, maybe I just kind of missed it. It, it. It'll always recur to some degree. And, and for that reason, amongst others, it's it's just better for there to be a clean break as quickly as possible. But to be honest, I'm, I've, I'm not quite, I, I don't really, I don't really mind um, to be honest. Like, again, we're all talking about searching for meaning and things like that. I, d- I don't really mind the manager saying, do you know what, I've got no use for Meza Ozil because, like you said earlier, or, or actually, no, I think this was on the Askcast Extra earlier, they were saying, like, we've had teams built around Ozil and it's it's not really worked. And, yeah, I you know, I, I'm kind of relaxed to some degree about well, I'm relaxed about like Ursula and Ramsey going. I think the circumstances are regrettable, like not getting money for Ramsey and having this whole ha- thing hanging over us with Ursula. But I'm I'm fine to move on from them, and I don't, you know, I don't. I think I've invested all I can emotionally into <laughs> the the whole Ursula thing, so I, I, d- I don't really mind. And to be honest with you, I think his performances have been entirely inconsistent. I don't really see that changing at this point, and I, I'm I'm happy to move on yeah. um, at this stage. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is I have some sympathy. Again, some. Let's emphasize that word so you don't jump all over me. Some sympathy with the claim of Ozil not being consistent only because I, I don't see him having been given any opportunity to, to become consistent. I mean, again, I'm not saying over his Arsenal career. I'm saying this season specifically, 
If, yeah, yeah. If it was any other player playing as infrequently as Ozil is, we might be defending him by saying he just hasn't had a chance to get into a rhythm you know, in this team. So I think there is some of that. At the end of the day, I agree with you that I am ready to move on from him uh, and probably have been for a while. But the problem, of course, is the one that we always come back to. And it's tedious to mention it, but it's that salary. And if if we can't move him and he's on those wages and we're not using him, it's just a tremendous amount of the resources plugged into the squad going nowhere. Um, which, you know, is, and again, that's not Emery's fault. The original sin is giving him the contract to save face when we were losing Alexis mm-hmm. already. It just, you know, look, Ivan Gazidis is a mug, and that's all it comes down to. Um, and yes, I'm blaming Ivan Gazidis for everything. If you disagree, fine. That's where I'm at. That's where my head's at. Clive, uh, why don't you wax lyrical about Mesut Ozil and your love for him for a bit, but also let's try to sneak in what I think might wind up being a, a more important moment here late in the game. Mustafi comes off, Mavropanos comes on. Obviously, not nearly enough of a look at Mavropanos to have any opinion of his performance, but I couldn't help as Mustafi was trudging off the field hoping that he never trudged back on one again. Um, I tend to think that his Arsenal career doesn't have much longer to go. Do you think we could start to see the manager lean away from using him? If if uh, Mavropanos plays well, I think that will be done. But you know, for me, our best two defenders are Socrates and Koscielny. Yes, and I think it's and I think it's holding and Mavro, I want it to be Mavropanos just behind them, right? So if Koscielny goes, Mustafi goes, and Koscielny, I think, has got one and a half more years his contract, I believe. So if Koscielny goes to the south of France because he absolutely deserves to with Arsenal blessing um, Socrates stays and helps nurture through Manfred Panos and I hope we buy somebody and use some of the cash we get for Mustafi um, to help us with that purchase right and that person should in my opinion be a, a left-sided centre-half of real stature and with a left foot because that's what we don't have so that's what I would do if I was in charge of recruitment and I'll spend a lot more money on fallback options I would buy three right and get rid of three and I would I would buy you know, a right back and two left backs but that's that's me uh, Mustafi I'm sick of looking you know I used to play centre midfield when I used to play. And when you look behind you and play in centre midfield, you normally look behind you and see the, the biggest, fastest, strongest players in your team and they give you a level of security. If I was playing centre midfield and I saw that guy behind me, I would walk on the pitch with an inhaler and blood pressure tablets at my side at all times because he does not give me any security at all. This is no surprise. For me, it's always a bad recruitment. Um... You know, whatever you say about Perma Asaka, he had a presence in our defence. And his presence and his strengths and weaknesses were so obvious, you could have a player around him in Koscielny which covered up his weaknesses and their roles were defined. You can say they had a ceiling, but you knew what you were looking at. When I look at this player, I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know what I've got. I don't know anything. All I know is I have a £35 million, £100,000 a week player in our defence for two, three years. And... None of us are becoming more convinced that he is improving. So it's something that we do. We hold on to players far too long and we we hope that they're going to come good. I think we have to be a lot more ruthless at Arsenal. Maybe hopefully that'll be part of our new identity that we need to cut these players loose really, really quickly. And I think this is one of the reasons why um, we have what I call the Arsenal tax. 
the arsenal tax is when we over when we keep players too long and then we we sell them at the wrong times and we sell them at losses we don't sell them at the right time and so because of that now our perception in the marketplace is one of where you go your players come to die and this is why they can't be sold they, they get overpaid with contracts they're paid more than they're worth. They're not appropriately developed and they're kept too long. And so you develop a situation where we can't sell and you have the arsenal tax. Right? And, and Mustafi is a classic example of that. And there are many others. And, um, and it's a nature. We have to change that. And I think we're starting to change that by our behavior to some of the players that are previous favorites. We are starting to say, nope, it's not happening. That's not right for us. We need to change this. You're a good player, but fancy doesn't work. These are players I want to invest in. I'm going to invest in you, Mavropanos. I'm going to invest in you, Gwenduzi. And I'm prepared to wait out these 12 months because I can then find out you're getting experience and I can find out what you're all about. And then next season, I can add the pieces that are going to extend your career, support your career, and provide you with the right people around you in all parts of the pitch that can make us more competitive. And then I keep you because your projection is much higher than what people realize. I keep you, I get you signed on the right contract at the right wage, and then I build upon you. And if you don't want to stay, I have you at the right contract, and then you go, and we do not see you walking out the door as a 28-year-old, 29-year-old, 30-year-old for, for, for no recompense whatsoever. Mm. So this Mustafi is a classic example of that. The sooner we cut him loose, it's going to be painful. But as soon as we cut him loose and just take the £15 million loss, the sooner we can create minutes for Mavropanos, who's playing for the under-23s tonight. And it's a very important game because it could lead to him getting some minutes on Saturday. right? And I think that's, that's, that's really important for the future of our club to find out what he's all about. And if he's there, great. We reinvest next year. If he's not, great. We loan him to make him ready and then buy appropriately in the summer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think the thing you have to worry about in general is the way the age curve works, sometimes players just tail off slightly, and sometimes they go off a cliff. I mean, I think we're seeing, you know, with Licksteiner, he's, he's over the cliff when he arrived. Um, Nacho Monreal looks like he's going over that cliff um, a little bit. And, you know, Socrates, we don't know what we're going to get from him next season, but we should assume that there may be a big step back in quality and fitness um, for a player who's been very important this season. I do think we have to bring in another center back, and I think next season it should be holding Mavropanos, another center back, and then, you know, Socrates infrequently as needed is probably where we're going to be. Um, let's start to wrap up, and Tim, just real quick, looking ahead, I mean, look, it, it was dispiriting performance and loss in some ways, in other ways just kind of an expected write-off, and we've already touched on why that is and, and what to make of it, but... The fixture computer has kind of been a little bit kind here. Um, we have a full week before we go to Huddersfield, so we can get some rest. Then Bade Borisov away, no fixture between that first leg and the second leg. Then mm. home to Southampton, you know, not the easiest game, but certainly manageable. Home to Bournemouth. Then a full week between the Spurs and United games that are consecutive. So, I mean, the thing that's encouraging here is we can kind of reset. There's time to reset before Huddersfield yep. and then time to sort of put the Premier League on pause and really get a positive energy around the club by beating Bade Borisov and, and being through to the next round of the Europa League before having two winnable home games in the league again. And things can start to look and feel a lot different because we are you know, still in touching distance of top four. The thing I look at is Mkhitaryan. I think his return could be really meaningful 
Um, mm. That side of the pitch has been a big problem. You know, we'll integrate Dennis Suarez a little bit. Hopefully he'll be very good. But, you know, um, by the way, the, the excitement about Mkhitaryan coming back is all my point. It has nothing to do with Clive. He definitely <laughs> didn't type it into the back channel message here. I so, will see it here again. Yeah, you know, look, look, if we go you back far it. enough, Clive, I was excited about Mkhitaryan coming back from an injury last season. So it's I almost like it was saying. my idea. Um, I know our listeners will call you out very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They won't because I won't pay attention. Um, so, so Tim, just real quick, in terms of the way the, the schedule breaks now, the fixtures break, and with a little almost time off for the Europa League and the return of Mkhitaryan, do you think maybe we should just hold our breath before getting two down in the dumps because because we have kind of a neat little period here to turn things around pretty quickly? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, listen, you know I, I've been probably more complimentary of, of Mkhitaryan than, than a lot of people. I, th- I think he's very useful. Like. I, I get the frustrations with him, um, but I've I've said many times like I, I think he's very useful to this team because he's one of the few players that really seems to fit what Emery actually wants to do. So yes, I think that is very handy. I think it's slightly Murphy's Law that we're getting him back at the exact point that we get Dennis Suarez. Um, we you know I, I take your point it means that we can integrate him and perhaps you know him and Awobi can share some game time for the next couple of weeks but um it actually it would have been quite nice to have Dennis Suarez six weeks ago um because you know Iwobi and Mkhitaryan you know they were they, they were very much buy one get one free they came together every single game and and now it's just Iwobi um, so that that tells you kind of how Emery thinks about this and and how he thinks about using those t- kind of two players in the half spaces. I think he'll be incredibly useful again, not because I think he's the best player out there, just because th- there's a lot to be said for you know, like I was saying about Rob Holding earlier. There's a lot to be said for just being a guy that fits what your manager's trying to do, and he's one of them. Um, so yes, I, I think that is. That is fortuitous. I think also you're right. The the fixtures are fairly kind to us now. And actually, once we clear Man United in March, our, our run-in is, um, you know, our, our run-in's decent, actually. Um, you know, we've got some tricky away games, but I don't think we've got any of the top six after March the 10th. So, yeah, that's, it's, you know, you, uh, it's what it spurs, then United, then done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you look at the type of fixture, we built that 22 game run on through the autumn we're but I mean, you know, the way the, the, the fixture list goes, we're basically getting those fixtures again, yeah. um, effectively. And, and we were able, and we we'll need been the performances to, myself, to be a little better. I don't think you could count on getting yeah, those points. Yeah. Those yeah. Performances. But yeah, I take your point that, I mean, that is, that is a very handy thing but to we, have, especially with the Europa league, potentially getting yeah. serious at that point yeah it, it, exactly exactly and actually a lot of you know six of those games in the 22 game unbeaten run were europa league games which but you know that that comes back into the the equation now and I, i've been thinking for the last couple of weeks like a similar run like i'm not asked i'm not even sure there are 22 games left overall but you know a similar run to that again probably gets us fourth um, if we can do that again, get similar results, and you know, even if the performances are the same and they weren't hugely convincing, it was it was still enough. Um, and if we can replicate that again, and we've kind of got the fixtures to try and do that, so that again, that's that's the positive here. And you're right, the run not just over the next kind of four weeks or Jesus so, Clive. the run. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> the run like over over the next few months really is 
is pretty good for us, albeit if we progress in the Europa League, um, then, you know, maybe, th- and we were able to write a lot of those games off last year and make it a bit of a, a non-event. But um, if, maybe this is a discussion for another time, but if we get past Boris off, I am all for getting Chelsea um, in the next round because yeah, yeah. I think we have to beat them to win it. And so if get we, it out of the way or focus on the league. Ex- That's Yep, sorry, I'll, exactly. t- I'll just finish your point instead of letting you finish it more yep. articulately, which was really <laughs> terrible. I, I, I just got thrown off by the heavy breathing in my ear from Clive over there. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it was a little bit weird. But, I mean, and, and look, if you want to have some optimism for the league, you know, Man United, everyone's worried about, you know, Manchester United being the, the team that could wind up pipping us to fourth. It gets tough for them in the sense that they have PSG, Chelsea in the Cup, Liverpool in the league, Palace away, home to Southampton, PSG again, then Arsenal at Arsenal, then home to City. I mean, they could go on an epic lose. You could see them losing to PSG, losing to Chelsea, losing to Liverpool, dropping points at Palace, beating Southampton, losing to PSG, losing to Arsenal, losing to City. And people are going to feel a lot differently about United if that's how their run goes. Um, you know, then they don't really have another tough fixture other than Chelsea at home in April. But they could be out of the picture, depending on how that run goes. And that takes them all the way through March the 16th, where they face uh, City at home. So, you know, that, I think there's some cause for encouragement there. You know, not to go all, um, uh, you know, results, predicting the results before they happen. We, uh, on the Arsenal podcast that I used to do back when that was still a thing, before Tim Clark just got super lazy and stopped caring about football, um, we used to do the predictatron. Maybe we can uh, ask to borrow that concept there. And what we would do is we'd literally just sit on microphone, read out fixtures of the teams we were competing with, and say win, loss, or draw, and then tally it all up. It made for great listening. Fantastic radio. But uh, it, it might be worth doing at some point in the near future because, Tim, you're right to bring up the fixtures. Well, I brought up the fixtures, so I'm right to bring up the fixtures. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it does get tough. I mean, and Chelsea have it too. They they play City away as their next league fixture. They go back into the Europa League. They have Man United in the in the FA Cup. They have uh, Man City in the Cup Final, right? The the Cap, uh, what is it? Carabao Cup Final. They have Tottenham. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then Liverpool away still in April. United away in April. Yeah. It, the more I think about it, if we can find a way to just not completely shit the bed against Spurs away and United at home. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in the reckoning, so maybe something to look forward to. Clive, uh, I've rambled on there on the fixture computer thing longer than I expected. Can you give us like a 30-second wrap-up of your thoughts there so we can say goodbye to everybody? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm i I'm a fan, so I'm one of pure hope. We have 13 games to go, and if you, I, I urge you all to listen to Emery's press conference after this game um, because, you know, our, our communication has not been great from the club, and Emery's not the greatest communicator, but I think he gave a little bit of insight into how he's looking at this season. I think he spotted exactly what you both have highlighted. We have a set of fixtures now that we can attack. We can attack them. Manchester United at home is not the... Okay, we haven't done well there, but it's a home game. And Spurs away is a special game. And the rest are all very, very winnable if we focus upon them. And I think... He literally is talking about that process. He didn't quite say he gave this game up, but he spoke very carefully about City's superiority and said it four or five times, which basically tell you what was in his mind. How can I play this game in a way that gives me the best chance to walk out of there with my pride? 
right? That's how I felt he approached it. So judge the tactics and analysis based on that and what we could achieve. And by still while investing in a couple of players, we spoke about Shaka earlier. He was out of a coin strain. So maybe I was thinking maybe he was being rested for Huddersfield. So maybe I was being too much on the Emery train there. Emery doesn't rest players. Coin. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, he had a bit of a coin train. I'm not sure if he's ready for the weekend. But, um, you know, he's a player I still think is very important for us in the near term. 18 months after that, we can debate. I think this team will develop away from him. But in the near term, I think he's important. And so I think opportunity is there. If we stick if we stick with this as a, as a fan group and just stick with that process which is coming, we are going into that point points accumulation phase now and um i think if we can start to get back onto that you know thir- 30 points is what i think we need 30 points right and that gets us to 87 points and i think that's a 87 yeah that's what we need 87 everyone, that's a everybody, title surely you mean 77 uh, no 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 i'm oh, sorry sorry um 77 oh 77, thank god I was like, what, yeah, 77. what? <laughs> yeah 77 I'm, i got that wrong sorry and um and yeah i think that's what we need 30 points we need 30 points to get us where we we need to be right yep. so um i i, I like, in agreement now because <laughs> yeah so i just can't add up i was looking at 57 points for spurs which got into my mind and i can't believe how they've just you heard it here first clive's a spurs supporter yeah uh, well that's just 57 57 points They've basically got, you know, had six points there with three last-minute wins, which basically bring them right back into the pack where I thought they would be with their current injuries. But they've done really well and managed to stay at distance. They got lucky. Right? They had so, easy fixtures when Kane was out, but you know, yeah, it is what it is. All right. So, so, what do you think? Are we going to are we going to do it, Clive? We're going to do it. Right? Top uh, well, I think so. Yeah. Okay, Why not? All Why right. not? What's the point otherwise of walking around every day if, being an Arsenal fan if you don't believe? If we can leave this episode on that note, that would be a good thing. So let me screw it up with... No, I'm kidding. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Great having you back. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, great having you as always. Thank you, my friend. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner, strongly recommend it. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Paul. Oh, please write all the nasty things about Paul and Scott, if you want, uh, uh, in the review. We are going to do a special uh, Patreon episode this week during the off week before the Huddersfield match. So uh, if you'd be so kind as to sign up there, we'll have some hashtag great content for you there. Um, and for those of you who have signed up, really cannot thank you enough. And we will uh, really focus on putting out some great stuff there. But also for those of you who can't or haven't signed up, we love you as well. And we will concentrate on making uh, the regular pod as entertaining as possible going forward. Apologies for everything that's come before. In any event, uh, we do love you. We do appreciate having you here. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Huddersfield 0.